Dockhouse Rugby Show is proudly sponsored by Autism Friendly Caravans Blackpool, where every day there is a new adventure. Welcome to another episode of the Dockhouse Rugby Show. Today we're joined by Lee Centurion's owner, it's Mr Derek Bowman. Welcome to the show, Derek. Hi guys, all right? Welcome to the show. I just wanted to dig a little bit into what it was like to be a chairman of a rugby league football club. So before we get into that, just try and show some of your initial experiences of rugby league. What's your earliest memories? Well, it goes back, uh, it was a school, I mean, I was always a, I was brought up in Little Alton, single parent, um, two, two brothers, a bit rough and tough and tumble, and that's kind of what rugby is, eh? Um, so at school, it was the kind of thing what, I, I looked for and got involved in and just that kind of sort of like toughness that the teacher sort of took a shine to me and I was sort of a big part of the, the school team. So I suppose really the, the, the most significant part from then that sticks in my mind was playing in a competition for the school, St. Gabriel's up at Eiffel. Um And we played on what was the training pitch. So now at the side of Hilton Park, where the B&Q is, that used to actually be a training pitch, you guys might remember. And uh, I was gutted because we we lost in the first round, but we played on the training pitch. So I never actually got to play in the main Hilton Park Stadium. Um, but bizarrely enough, that guy was um, um, he was a I can remember his uh, name, Mr. Kane. He was actually a Saints fan, um, and uh, so so actually, truth be told, probably that's where my first real. Uh, supporter rugby was directed towards it, if I'm honest. Um, and moved to Lee from Little Alton, and then obviously, um, you know, it became about Lee, but we drew a, a red V on the white PE top. <laughs> I felt it, it didn't go down well with the uh, with the old Queen, but yeah, it was my, my first involvement. And then I carried on playing through uh, into senior school at St. Mary's, um, and then moved to Lowton High School that wasn't really a rugby. Uh, kind of school. I played one game with them and they got absolutely hammered and I thought, that's not for me. Um, and then I toured France with St. Mary's in the last year, even though I hadn't been in that school for two years, the PE teacher got in touch with me to uh, to go. And uh, I ended up having a, a big whack on that finger. It was pointing the wrong way down. I had an op in France. It was in a cast for however long. And that was the end of me uh, in terms of playing it. I, I taught France as a, as a schoolboy as well. So some, some great memories of, of being out there. Um, so when you talk about growing up, and like you say, original influences was to be a, a Saints fan. Who were, you, who were your rugby league heroes then as, as a child, Derek? So, so, so really for me, it was, it was about Lee. I never, ever went and watched Saints Ellen. So obviously you see what rugby you saw back then. It was like, you know, your BBC and stuff, mainly you... The Challenge Cup is the kind of memories that stick with me most from back in them days. Uh, but for me, I, I played Uka. Um, and so I used to love Kevin Ashcroft. Um, you know, he's a tough, uh, you know, out-and-out legend. Um, he worked for me for some time as well. Uh, Desi Drummond, John Woods. Um, you know, just the flair of Desi and the way he whacks people and tackled them. So as, as I was young... He was the sort of influences. So I used to love just making my brother run at me so I could try and tackle him like Desi tackled. Um, and Woody was just sheer class. You know, he'd be behind the sticks in, in Elton Park and all of a sudden he'd be under him. And it's like, where's he just come from? You know, he just, just appeared there like he glided. So they were the big players. And then, 
you know, your Andy Greggs and the likes, you know, if you start looking at, at, at Great Britain and, and some of those games, and even, you know, players like Martin Afire and Ellery Anley, just just quality players that, you know, Bobby Goulding uh, even, you know. So it, it was just the players that was creating the spark that kind of attracted you and made the game entertaining. I remember playing against John Woods, in fact, at Watersheddings in an A-team game. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I, it was a big name even then and and uh, I was thinking to myself you know what I'd like to put a shot on him because if my career ends now at least I can go to the pub and tell everyone I put a shot on John Woods what would it? I didn't get anywhere near him absolutely nowhere near him he controlled the game we got thrashed and he walked off and there was a piece of mud on him or dirt or nothing he could have yeah, been yeah. in a jacket he was, fan- he was amazing on that day and, and he had a great career but you could see why when you're on the pitch with him close up. Yeah, yeah. And, he's, and do you know what? He's a top bloke as well. So um, I wish he'd got into the club more more than, than we do, you know. But he's, he's got his grandkids and stuff now. And um, But he's still, you know, he's still a good supporter of the club. We've got a statue outside the place. So, you know, you can't get anything uh, anything more than that. But yeah, he was... Uh, he was in that statue than it would have been. <laughs> you can go and tackle that. Put a top on it. Send me the postcode. Dave finally gets his chance to tackle Woodsy. 30 years later. Yeah, you get, get that footage on your show tackling a bronze statue. That'll be your shoulder good. <laughs> oh, that, that's good. That's good. So you went through all that, and at some stage you must have thought, you know what? I'm going to be a chairman of a rugby league club. So what took you from playing rugby league to then deciding to be a chairman. What, what was the gap in between there? So basically what happened there was when I'd stopped playing, like young lads do, you get into, you know, I got silly got into smoking and, you know, you're drinking the old bottle of Meridone and making a snake bite with a can of skull. And, tell and tell the ruin of many a good man. <laughs> and, it, and it doesn't mix well with trying to be uh, any kind of athlete and truth be told down in France I mean you said yourself that you toured France the big guys I mean I wasn't big you know I played Uka I was, I was shorter I, I kind of just developed late uh, after I'd left school if I'm honest so it, truth be told we got, we got whacked you know and I didn't I thought to myself, you know, is this really what I want to do? You know, I'd, I'd had that time out of it. And I didn't even watch rugby then, if I'm honest with you. I kind of like just completely fell away from it. And uh, my old queen had a pub in Tilsley. And um, I was uh, I was in there one, one Sunday, you know, for the afternoon session. And this guy, Mark Waywell, walked in with a, a wee shirt on. And um, I was like, oh, what are you have anyway, I'm going watching uh, watching the game. And I said, oh, can I come with you? And he was like, yeah, of course you can. So we jumped in a taxi, went down, and and I got back watching it um, then, you know, so you get like a bit of a affiliation uh, kind of back end. You go in a couple of days, the atmosphere and so on. Um, but but how, it, how it came about really was I opened uh, a company called AB Windows in Lee um, back in, I think it was like 90, 1999 or something like that. Um, and I was like, who can we get to do the opening? You know, what what, what is it? Who is there in Lee that's going to do it? And really, it's only got its rugby club and, you know, the rugby players are the stars of the time. So uh, at the time, Kevin Ashcroft was a commercial manager. I didn't know that. I rang up, got put through to him, and he said, yeah, we'll send a couple of players down to open it and do a bit of PR for you. Would you sponsor the game the following day? 
um, bring some of your customers along. Uh, they didn't have a, a main match sponsor for the game. I can't remember who they played, but uh, that then kind of got me involved again, uh, watching, but more in a sponsor's um, sort of role. And then it was just, you know, you, when you're a fan of something and you, you're in a position where you can help uh, a little bit more, and I ended up going on the shirt, uh, on, on the sleeves. Um, and then it just came about where, where there was an opportunity to kind of take it over. And at that time, I didn't have that personal wealth to do that on my own. So we established uh, a consortium and I got 10 people with 25K each uh, rather than one man with 250K. Um, and, and we moved it forward. Uh, myself, Phil Coffey and Steve Blakely became like an executive board of three within the tent. To, to kind of make decisions. So we didn't have an out and out chairman as, as such back then, but I was probably more of kind of the face of it, if you will. Um, and yeah, and that, that, that then got me involved in that side of it. Um, and I pulled out of there in, in 2005 when we got in Super League. I was putting all my time, effort and energy into that and the business was suffering significantly. Um, as a consequence um, and, and I took a back step and handed my part my shares and my director's loans to um, the late Arthur Thomas uh, and his son was on the, the board representing him because he was at St Helens you'll probably recall uh, on the board the great great bloke um, and, and he kind of if you will he used to bring me every afternoon you know is it going what you're doing you're doing this doing that you know kind of like almost sort of mentoring you know um, and the deal was basically it was a, an handshake and, and, a, and a you know a handover a certain sum of money wasn't anything like the value of the shares or the director's loans that I wrote off uh, so that he could take the club forward because ultimately that's what I wanted to happen um, and, and he put quite a lot of money in during a period where there was no promotion and he couldn't get anything from it and the deal was, if he ever got himself in a position where the club became a burden to him or his family, I would take it back if I was in a position to do so on exactly the same trade that we did um, back in 2005. And unfortunately, he passed away in, um, I think, uh, early 2013. And uh, true to his word, his son rang me up and said, my dad's told me this. Um, is this right? Um, the club was struggling couldn't pay um, the wages and stuff. And uh, we did the deal and reversed it. So I ended up back there earlier than I wanted to. And uh, <laughs> and, and now having put more than he put in in that period of time in a, in a shorter period, just chasing it. So, yeah, but te technically Mike Laven's actually our chairman. I've never, ever had the title chairman uh, in, both, in both times I've been at the club. Um, I've always, it's always been somebody else that's the chairman, I think. As it, I've probably been a bit, you know, obviously mature with age, I'm 51 now. When I was 30, you know, when we first got involved, uh, I was a bit more of a fan and probably not as sensible on, as, as, as that side of it. So I wouldn't have wanted to be seen as the chairman because of how I'd be as a fan. Uh, and I've kind of always wanted to be able to have that fan status and never really seen myself as the type of person that, it would be the figurehead in the chairman capacity. So Mike Latham, who, who, who is the chairman, he's also our historian, he's an accountant, he's a great bloke, and he, it's the right image, in my opinion, for our club um, to be chairman. 
so the right skill set. So different people with different skill sets bringing something different to the to the organisation. Yeah, we have like an operational uh, board. So I'm the only uh, official director, and I'm, I'm the majority shareholder. There's a lot of piecemeal shares from what went on before I uh, got back involved. Um, but the the operational board is like so important because. The you know you've you've got myself there and, and and what I'm good at you've got Neil Dukes there who's obviously been a, a coach a play a player and a coach and, and coach for over ten years at the club coached in and out of Super League so he understands it and and, and the mechanics of, of the rugby club on all of those aspects um, you've got Karen Roberts who was at the RFL for many years she was also at Warrington so you know a good individual uh, rounded there. Uh, Mike Laven, as I say, is an accountant, he's an historian, he's a media uh, person, he's an author, he's, he's, he's incredible, the work that he does um, for the club, it's just absolutely incredible. Um, you know, he writes all the obituaries, anything, uh, he's done all the heritage numbers, it's significant, and he does all the numbers that matter uh, on the finance side, preparing the accounts. And then we've got a, a lovely lady, Jill Wood, who's... Um, really good on commercial. Um, she runs like a, a company that puts events on and things. So we've got a really skilled board that doesn't cost any money. Um, which, if if you had to pay those people, it would affect massively what we had on the pitch. So they're they're a big big component of the success of the club. That's interesting. I mean, that's an extra insight I hadn't seen yeah. or thought of before. You know, you need those skills, and if you had to pay for them, yeah, to bring those. High quality professionals in the salaries would be uh, quite large, I suspect. So, you know, it sounds as though it's evolved into this position, and, and the club have, and they're doing quite well at the moment. It sounds very successful, certainly on on the pitch. So, can you give us an insight into how a typical week looks like for yourself uh, at the club? So, come Monday morning after you've played the weekend, how do you get involved first in Monday morning or do you go to work and then on an evening have a chat to the coaches? How, how does it look? One word, chaos. <laughs> <laughs> That's my Monday morning. First of all, it starts with a bad head because rugby goes with a few beers, as I'm sure it does for you guys. Um, so if we play on a Sunday, um, you know, it, it, winning beer and losing beer is the same beer, right? Yeah. You're either drowning your sorrows or celebrating your success. So, um, you know, I, I, do, I do like a few beers. So, Mondays are always a little bit phased. So, I don't have, um, we, we kind of, we're not a club that has weekly or fortnightly board meetings. So, what we do is, is, is we, run, we run the business as it needs running and we respond to things and, and we try and be proactive as well where we can. So we have a, we only have a small uh, staff operationally in the actual club paid employees. Um, and we take a lot of responsibility uh, on ourselves. So I, I do generally oversee a lot of aspects. And, and so I'll receive calls and, and we have obviously WhatsApp groups for different aspects. So I've got a rugby series group, which is for recruitment, which has just been me, Dukesy and Chris Chester. Uh, and then we've got the club operational board group. And then everybody has access direct to me if they need to, whether it's a media person, commercial person, whatever, if they want an idea back or an answer. So this a, a typical thing would be um, this Monday morning, um, Josh Charlie's uh, signed some inquiries for sponsorship. What value do we put to it? Because we're part way through the season. 
where does it fit A, B, or C? You know, so it's just simple things. And uh, so, so there's no, I, I don't manage my time where I say, I'll only deal with the club on those areas of the day or those days of the week. So it's pretty much fluid um, depending on what's going on. And believe it or not, the most difficult time is actually during the off season. Um, once the season's going, it tends to be less. This year's been pretty um, pretty busy insofar as we've been building the recruitment as we've gone. It's been a process to get to where, where we are and then the process of now building for next year. So there's quite a bit been going on behind the scenes. So in terms of getting involved in the rugby side of it, um, I, I spoke to Lammy today, but I don't speak to him too often. When I was head of rugby, I would be more involved in that. Uh, side of things Chris Chester's doing a great job dealing linking between me and Dukesit and, and Lammy and all the rugby side and the players and dealing with all that aspects of it so I've never with any coach that I've ever had at my club ever had any involvement in picking the team uh, in you know who, who we should sign on we're not going to sign um, anything in that that regard how the team will play how it will defend anything like that nothing not, nothing whatsoever. Um, that's left to the coach's devices 100%. So all I do is support financially and support however I can. So if I get offered a player from an agent or whatever, I'll flip it on the group. It's ultimately the coach's decision whether or not he wants him or he doesn't want him or who he goes for. So Adrian will, will get me involved um, meeting the kind of players that we're trying to bring to the club now and where we're trying to build to um, there's some you know significant quality needed to achieve what we want to achieve and he's the kind of person who can attract that and he, he sees it important for me to be part of that meeting um, just in terms of selling the club the vision what we're doing and, and so on and so forth so it's just whatever involvements are needed um, the biggest one is is, is the financial uh, input which this year in particular is, is significant yeah, I mean, you've grown such a, a top quality squad. Has there ever been a player that you've really fancied and you think, this is a cracking player, the agents brought them to me and the coaching staff haven't really liked and you've been a bit gutted? Um, probably not. I mean, there's been, I mean, we've been so close to um, some, you know, like Jared Aime was one, it was done. Uh, and, and then just ended up not, not coming off Ben Barber um, you know there's there's been a few you know really sort of uh, close things so it would always I kind of guess that even if it's a player that I don't think is going to fit is anywhere you know with, I don't sound really good enough but I don't think it's going to add value to our squad I'll still put that forward because it's not my decision yeah. to make so they'll they'll then say you know Chesley will just put back and he's kidding aren't you but you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know I'm just putting it forward so I'll give an opinion and stuff so, so I haven't ever put something forward and said you know if I've thought wow and then they've not actually come back and said yeah let's try and get in and there's plenty of players we've tried to get and, and missed on you know it, it obviously yeah. happens and it's a tough gig where you are uh, when you're in the championship and that uncertainty because as much as we sit in a good place at the moment it's still far from over and you know injuries and certain things happen and, and things change and um bounce of the ball 
you know, errors from players, errors from officials. It can just all change. So the 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 difficulty has always been biggest part of a club is recruitment. Hundred percent, it's the most important uh, part of the job. And if you can get that right and get the right people to your club, then you can be successful. But if you if you wait till the end of the year when you know you're in Super League, then the supermarket shelves have already you know been taken and it's too late. And that's why each time we've got up, we've come straight back down. Toulouse up, back down. The mould's not going to break unless you manage to get Super League players to play for you in the championship, pay them the Super League wages, and then go up with a team that's ready-made. And, and that's what we're attempting this time around. And that must be a, re- a really difficult task, because like you said, that's that's a hefty hefty bill, um, wage bill to, to be substantiating throughout a championship season. But that's the kind of farming that you're saying that you know you have to do in order to... To stop being a yo-yo, really, you know, you'll yeah. go up and then and then and then come down. If not, and ideally, it would be good if I think if, if probably they got rid of relegation. Once you're up, you get at least a couple of seasons in, then to build on that foundation. Yeah, I mean that, that's what's been the bugbear because if if you had that safety net um, at least for a year, then you can do your recruiting. You can you can see what you can be about. Um, you know our. Our, you know, big factor that we have is in attracting players is our facility. Um, you know, we've got a great stadium, a fantastic playing surface. Everything's on on site, swimming pool, gym, uh, athletics track, 4G, replica uh, grass pitch, the same size as our indoor pitch outside. So we've got absolutely fantastic uh, facilities. There's a hotel on site, a supermarket on site, everything. We've even got a pub on site. <laughs> So um, who supporters with breakfast for the lads after team team run of the week. So it's it's good when you're selling your club to to attract a player that you have all of that. And your biggest salespeople, as as much as that's my forte, are your actual players because they can attract and recruit other players to come and play with them by saying how how good it is and and how much they're enjoying it. So you know that that's the the big component, but. Without the the money, and I suppose we'll get onto it when we talk about structure, but without having the money to put in, um, so I guess the decision was, I knew how much it would cost me this year. Um, and my challenge to our team was, and to Chesley and Lamit was, when we spoke at the beginning of the season to the group and they set their, their standards and their culture, was provide the best outward example of professionalism of our club because there's been years when we've had tags of being a grubby team, a dirty team, you know, not not well disciplined. Uh, and that had the best image as, as a club. I don't think I'm happy to say that. I don't think it's befitted what we genuinely are. A lot of people have the wrong opinion, impression, perception of me when they've never met me. Um, and so I wanted to try and change that and that was the first thing and I think they've done a fantastic job of doing that um, and then the second thing was for them to give me the confidence by recruitment time May, June which I think is too early uh, for clubs to have to start dealing with uh, that, that I would have the belief in them that they could achieve what we'd set out to achieve which was to get into Super League so I could then as I say, nothing's for certain, but I could then be feel confident enough to be brave enough to to do the recruitment of them and and any others early 
in the piece when everybody else is doing it. And again, I, I felt that they, you know, they definitely achieved that. So I pressed the green button a few weeks back on that. Um, and, you know, Josh was done a while ago for his two-year deal at the end of the year. But you would never announce that because it would be rude to Warrington and it would be rude to our players as well. Um, so, you know, that, that would have only come out at the end of the year. But then because there's an opportunity for him to come now, um, and that's been done, then obviously it all it all becomes announced. So that that process started early. And the risk to that was that this year um, we get 180,000 central funding in Super League, you get 1.5 million. So essentially, there's what I'm putting in is significant this year. It would then be another 1.3 um, that we're not getting on top of what is going now so it would have been it's, it's a big a big financial commitment from me to underpin that because it's got to be underpinned so that's where we've changed from the role in one year deals and 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 you know people can come and take our players to doing the likes of your ipepe for three years there's somebody another key player being announced that's in our squad that's going three years um and actually building something together that will be together for a period because I, I think that's what you need to to win something. Um, like like saying to where you guys are from, they yeah. don't have massive changes, and they just keep adding to, adding to, and look at the success. So that's that's the big the big thing. And then because I, I firmly believe if Lee can back up a year of staying up, which we've never done, we didn't finish bottom of the year Duke's he was coach in seventeen, but we lost in the playoffs in the middle eight. But if we could just back it up and stay up a year, I believe that club can grow and compete up with your Saints and your Wiggins and the likes. It's really interesting, Derek. I, I like what you're saying because it, it, you give a lot of thought there to the fact that uh, many of the clubs in a similar position to Lee in the past have had those short-term deals or they've had longer-term deals for some players, but the, the players who can get you into Super League or keep you there, it's very difficult to recruit them and difficult to keep them because other clubs are always after snatching them. So it sounds like there's a slight business model change to how you're approaching it, where you're looking to try and tie those top players into slightly longer deals to give you more confidence if you go up, and hopefully you will, help you attract other good players. Is that kind of what, has that been a conscious yeah. plan to do that? That's, that's exactly what, what it is. You know, I mean, when, when, when I've got Adrian to come to the club, which is a big... Um, you know, it's, it's a big part of what's what's happening here. Um, you know, you, you get Chesney in there, you get Adrian in there. Club is doing a great job. PJ, Cardio, there's a real good back room, um, and and it's professional, but it's also fun. So, he, you know, when I sat down with Adrian, he's like about coming to my club. You know, he's a, he's a pro guy, he's a professional guy, he's a talented guy. He's played at the highest level. He's the assistant coach at Australia. He's got a big reputation. So he doesn't want to come to a, a club that's going to all fall apart. You know what I mean? He, he's got to be careful about the decisions he makes. So me and him chatting about what I wanted to get from him and where I saw my club going and what we want to achieve was a big part of why he decided to come. And likewise with Chesley. Chesley had super league uh, offers to stay stay within coaching um, but it was you know yeah let's go and be part of this and build it so there's the, the two key things to start the, the process of influencing them and that was you know 
with, with Adrian, no secret, you know, he would want to finish his career back in the NRL as an head coach. I'm sure of that. I know that. Um, but he also, you know, is, is on this journey that we're doing. Um, and part of that was that, that we would get in the top six and the, in the playoffs and then within three years and then within five, be in a final or, or a grand final or a Challenge Cup final and, and be competing to win. So that process obviously needs planning and needs the recruiting and, and, and needs getting me into the meetings with the quality that of, of, of the team is. We've got a lot of that here now. You know, we don't need massive uh, changes, but it's just adding those refinements. Um, and and that's that needs doing to keep to keep Adrian in there and, and keep the promise of what we've made and what we're building and what we're doing. So we've had to go with that model. Now, you know, you can try and protect yourselves and and, and we kind of devised a legal clause whereby if we didn't get promoted into Super League, then you know the contract can be renegotiated or whatever. But you're never going to get players to sign a contract that doesn't become a contract if you don't get promoted because you just end up at you know they they know as well as I know nothing's for sure. They might think that they're likely to get it. Don't they end up signing on a promissory note then? Don't they? It's it's not worth anything to them. You know, um, it's, it's it's like going into my local shop here with an hundred pound Scottish note. <laughs> Customer paid us with it. Like you know, you might as well have a piece of A4 paper, mate. You're not going to get anything with that. And it, and, it, and, it, and it's understandable because the players have got to look after the, their selves, themselves. So someone like Edwin, a key part is, is Adrian Lamb, obviously, and the, the PNG thing. But he also wants to play rugby at the highest level. All players want to play at the best of their ability and try and play in finals and win things. And, you know, we we lost um, uh, James Bell to, to St. Helens last year. We, you know... Even though we actually offered him a better term, um, that was you know St. Helens is St. Helens. He wants to try and play in finals. It's and you understand it and you accept it. And it's not there's no animosity. Um, it's just business. Um, so so with with people you know like Edwin and everybody, it's it's just selling them the vision that if it isn't this year, then it definitely is going to be next year because we're we're, we're establishing a top six Super League side. Yeah. And if it ends up in the championship, it's going to be when we come out. And and, and the, the boys are buying into that because because of how Adrian is, because of how Chessie is, Clubby is, myself is, how the environment is. And, and you only have to look at, you know, the scenes when we won that 1895 Cup. You can see in the players, their joy for Lammy, for me, for Chessie, for Dukes, that they're genuinely all smiling when we got hold of the trophy. It's yeah. I mean, you, you've built an ethos of sustainability or you're building that ethos of sustainability and that will pay dividend for you, I think, Derek, because like you say, you'll get that loyalty and, and that hard work from your players, from your staff, because that vision is there and, that, you know, you, you're very passionate and you know where you want that club to go, you know where it could go. And, you know, me growing up, with rugby league, Lee should be in the Super League. You know that that's the rightful place. They should be there, and I think Widnes should be back as well. You know, it's, yeah. it's been so many years as as part of that culture. Yeah, there's. I mean, one of the things in at the end of the day, it's money, and I'm fortunate enough that 
That it, I mean, there's, there's other people out there that have, have money, but is it, is it daft? What to do with it? But I had that uh, issue in January in um, in South Africa with the uh, anaphylactic shock, and I just you know, medically, like it's just unbelievable that I'm actually still here now. T- within 24 hours of that, if it's all dealt with quickly. You, you, you're 100% recovered as nothing's a problem other than if it happens again and you, you carry pens with you. But most people that endure that don't get through it. It's, it's like a 20, 25-minute window and it, it doesn't get the out quick enough and, and it's gone. As, and, and I had a lot of um, reflection back on that because, as, as you can imagine, you know, going through that experience and, and almost yeah. actually accepting death, basically, is what happened. And... I, I look back at that. I remember getting home and, and opening the door and there's a, a daft cushion what the kids got me for Father's Day one time with my face on it. And it was like, God, imagine if that was the first thing they saw. And then I started thinking about, you know, I didn't, I didn't have a will and different things like that and the mess that would have been left behind. And, and obviously that brought to me to thinking about the rugby. And I was like, well, you know, what what have I, apart from some great memories and meeting my wife in it, what have I actually got to show for the money that wouldn't be left to my kids and family that's gone into that which is significant? Um, and the answer would be nothing because it, it would be w- without continuing funding it. It would be back where exactly it was when I found it in 2013, where, you know, my wife would have looked after it it properly but then put it in the pram if you will yeah. um, and, and that would have been that and, and it would have been back to where it was so nothing would have really been gained for the for the money so that that that's why a big part of where I thought you know you, you just end your days with less in the bank it's more important to me what that town gets out of its rugby club what that rugby club does for the community the, the amount of people that it puts a smile on the face of gives them something to look forward to. It is sustainable in its own right in Super League. We found that out in 2017. Spent the full cap and made six grand profit in, in, a, in a great stadium that is expensive to be in, but you get what you pay for. So that's why I'm adamant on getting it there. Now, if if it means that, you know, what anybody can go and come to his house and see what kind of money we, we make here. If it means that what this business makes in a full year next year goes to prop up Lee because we didn't get in Super League at the end of this year and a third of what we've made has gone into it this year, then so be it. It's two years out of my, you know what I mean? Like, But then it achieves something that then when my day does come, I can look back and see that Lee's a sustainable Super League club. That's, that, that is different. So that money has changed something in that time and, and been worthwhile and everyone can be proud of. So that, that was a big factor, what happened to me then, in committing the, the money. I didn't know about that, Derek. Sorry to hear about that experience, and thanks for sharing it. Um, it sounds though that's changed your focus a little bit and made you consider how you measure what in, output you're getting for all that input, all those resources, most of which is your time and, and the money, really. So you, your measures are slightly different, possibly, than they were before, and you're looking for something... Um, uh, more sustainable and in Super League. Yeah, absolutely. And, and befitting for, for the town and the stadium that it is. And, you know, I think it's an it's an important time as well for the sport with the, you know, the realignment back with the RFL um, is, is a positive and a good thing. You know, the, the coverage that we're getting on sort of like Channel 4, 
the strategic partnership with IMG, um, you know, Premier Sports back involved with the championship. What a great advert that game was, Liam Fev on, I don't know if you saw it on the Monday. Yeah. It, it was a fantastic game, it, you know, we, we won fine, but anybody watching that, as a, as a, as a non-league fan or a non-Fev fan, like I watch Super League games, you know, that was a great game of rugby to watch and a great advert for the game. So, we, you know, we've got to keep pushing and, and, and keep working hard and keep striving to get where we are because I think I, th- I genuinely think LSV, I mean, when Saints came in 17, they brought 3,500 with them and we had just shy of 10,000 on, you know, early part of the season and we won. <laughs> uh, which was great. We, we, you, you get relegated in the season when you beat Wigan at home, Warrington at home, St. Helens at home. Um, you know, but that the, the, when you when you when you look back on those things, it, it, it's what inspires you to know it can be done. Yeah, yeah I guess you've learned all that the, the team have learned from that experience, and maybe uh, be a, a bit more aware of those things in future because you beat a lot all the top clubs there, so you must have dropped points elsewhere, and you can maybe yeah. look at how you can tighten up where those points were lost a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, that's fascinating that you've brought up so much, sir, that I didn't realise. I thought I knew what kind of answer you'd give, but you've given an insight there that I've found fascinating. And I, sure just, I, well. I just want to touch on it, though, because you said, and that, that was quite a, a powerful statement, you accepted death at, at, at that stage. What's that like? What 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 goes goes on there? You... you do. <laughs> So when I, when, I, when I was younger, I always said, I'll be a millionaire when I'm 40, but I'll be dead when I'm 50. And when I turned 50, I had it, and I've, I'm 51 now, so I've, I've, I think I've cleared it, but I just had so many near misses on me, push bike on the road, uh, various things. And I thought, you know, I've, I've I achieved that first part and I've kind of brought my own destiny here. And it, <laughs> yeah, I was like, what's what's this about? And then when that happened to me um, in South Africa, basically I'd, I'd, I'd come for a walk within what's called a safe area, so the electric fences inside from the, the, the lodge that we were staying in. Mrs and kids and our friends who was with us was around the pool. Um, Tupi told me the missus had just had some crosswords. was can happen over something. I thought I'll go and having a walk, clear my head, grab four bottles of beer and hadn't had any other booze before that. Next, a bit of water and went off walking. Um, and then I, I ended up stumbling in a, a wasp, standing in a wasp nest, which you wouldn't ordinarily, I wouldn't associate with being on the floor. It was within this rocky area and they just started whacking me. Um, so I was like, managed to run out of them. And then my eyes started to swell and itch. Now, this is the lucky bit because we do a lot of conservation with rhinos when we're out there um, and other other animals. But um, so the vet always explains to us if we come in contact with the the dart, you can. Some people can have an allergic reaction to the medicine in humans more so. And if you do, this is what happens. This is the process. And, and basically, your eyes go, then your mouth and your throat, and it's like some, your airways are closing. Then it's like someone standing on your chest, and you'll just pass out. And basically, you're going to die in about 25 minutes from it happening if you've not got urgent medical assistance. So 
and, and, and he tells you that, but he says, I'm here for at least half an hour after this process has gone, and I have the medicine if, if that happened. But these are the warning signs that you let us know, because the earlier you let us know, the better. So when this happened with my eyes, I messaged the ranger and I said, mate, is there something out here that can sting you and, and cause uh, this allergic reaction? And he didn't answer. So I'm swiping the WhatsApp back because now my mouth's going. So when I look back over the texts for the timeline, it all felt like longer, but it wasn't. It was like two minutes between the first and second message. And he hadn't read that. So when I swiped, he still hadn't read the first message. So I knew now what was happening and I knew how long I'd got. And I was uh, I was about 800 metres or more from uh, where everybody was. So I, I, I tried ringing uh, my wife, no answer. I tried ringing the ranger, no answer. But he would have been sleeping between morning and, and uh, afternoon drives. I knew the missus and kids and everybody was all around the pool. I've not got the phones with them. And I thought, wow. My only chance is I've got to get back. I've got somewhere to get back, and I, I'm not can't run. It's red hot as well, so I'm, I'm walking fast. And and then as I'm going, I'm realizing I'm my breathing's now going, but I'm also making that worse because I'm trying to go. And then I went blinded by like blinded by light, not darkness, bright light. Couldn't see. And I collapsed. I couldn't get up. Every time I tried to get up, I collapsed. Um, so I was trying to crawl. And then I just had a moment where I was like, stop what you're doing. You're never going to crawl that far. Um, you need to, and I pulled myself towards like the side of the road to a tree, like a bit shaded. <laughs> Grabbed a beer and it was like, feel all dry and struggling. And I had one of these beers and, and drank like some of that. And I thought the only thing can save me my phone, but I couldn't function my phone. So I could vaguely see a bit now, but I couldn't function because it stopped and I was trying to calm down and shallow my breathing. And I couldn't operate my phone. I was trying to send a message to me, missus and kids, because all that was bothering, I knew I was done. And, and I'm in a game reserve, so there's no paramedics close by. It's tw You've got 25 minutes. It's probably 10 gone already. So I need, uh, all I thought I could do, achieve, was get back to them so that they would be with me when it happened and they'd know what had happened and they wouldn't just drive out later and find me at the side of the road. Um, so I was trying to type a message to them. I couldn't I just gobbledygook. So then I started uh, shouting. So I got my phone. I was trying to still operate it. And I was trying to just shouting, help, urgent medical help, turn right when you come out. Um, and luckily, my wife had felt something strange and gone and got a phone to look, come find my iPhone, see my missed call. And she texted me and said, have your pocket rang me? I could just hear heavy breathing. But that's when I've rang her and I'm trying to get back. Um, and, and somehow when I'm trying to do whatever I'm trying to do on my phone, typing, I've answered her uh, ringing me, but I don't know I've done that. And I'm just shouting and she's heard this. And then eventually the ranger, the help, the tracker jumped out on the vehicle. Um, he was there, the ranger was still in his room and she ran through and he drove out. And I just heard the sound of a car and I thought, oh, thank God, someone's coming. You know, I'm going to get seen, but I couldn't get up or anything. Um, and this guy managed to get me in the Jeep. Um, and then as, as, the, as he was driving back, my, uh, our friends, the, the lady, she's, um, her daughter, 
as a nutologist, so they have EpiPens and strong antihistamines. And one of the big factors was she um, shoved two of these strong antihistamines down my throat because that's what she has to do with the daughter is give her them first. And then if it doesn't improve, use the EpiPens. Uh, mine's different, mine's just straight to them now. But that they reckon that will have had some assistance um, in, 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 in what went on. Unfortunately for me, the paramedic had been rang um, as soon as my wife had, had gone in there and he was not too far away in, in the reserve. So he could be two hours away. Um, so they called her ambulance as well, but he got there rapid. I passed out um, and you, people say this and you think it's a load of nonsense, but I swear down it's what happens. Or what happened for me, I was in like a golden, dreamy, delirious, almost like druggy, nice, feel cloudy type thing. And there's just four faces, just heads, not bodies, just heads in, in the distance that were getting bigger coming towards what I like remember. And then the next thing, they chucked ice over me. They'd got, as they got me out of the vehicle, I'd gone unconscious and they chucked ice and stuff over me and um, like waiting me to wait, bring me round, wake me up. And then I saw real faces and I was like, what's going on? Who's, you know, and then I realised what, what it was again. Um, the the um, paramedic, they, they had the blood oxygen thing on, on my finger and he was like, you've got to breathe. I was desperate to drink water and stuff. And me, when the paramedic got there, um, obviously, he just whacked me straight with the adrenaline and the steroids and, and all these things and got me intravenous, uh, got all the heart monitors on, got the oxygen in. And my blood pressure was 62 over 30, uh, which didn't mean anything to me. But when I got home and showed all the records to my doctor, it was like, wow. Uh, my blood ox was 71. Um, and then I started to get <clears throat> a little bit better. And then I relapsed, which is common. And he definitely, the paramedic, I've been and seen him a few times since, he definitely thought that was the end of that. Um, and somehow, uh, it, it all went okay, I managed to come back round um, and, and live to, to tell another day. But I, I was just happy to have got picked up and been with him. And the funny part is, me, the elder of me, my middle child, if you will, Ryan, he's um, 20 now, he, he's wherever in, in his room, as they do on the phones. And my youngest boy, Rocky, who's 12, he's gone running into him and said, Ryan, Ryan, my dad's just come back. Boy, he's brought him back. He's foaming at the mouth. He's, all his knees are, uh, are bleeding uh, and he's slurring and he can't he can't talk. Um, <laughs> and Ryan said to him, oh, he's probably pissed. <laughs> <laughs> I need to have a look at myself if my kids think that. It was weird because I actually just sat at the side of that road and said, well, you were right, you idiot. You, you're gone at 50. And uh, who, who, you, and I remember thinking, your eulogy is going to be good, isn't it, mate? You're out here with all these lions and leopards and you've been done by a one-inch wasp. That's, that was my final thoughts on it. <laughs> you know what, mate? You accept it. it really helped me because I struggled like hell with me, me, me old man passing away, uh, being told he'd got two weeks with cancer and he lasted two days, two years ago, just last Thursday as it happens. And then my mate who was with us there, his dad 
from being fit his seventies got told he'd have four months uh, and, and lasted four weeks. And it, it wrecked me head trying to <clears throat> understand how they mentally dealt with that because I don't have dear. Um, but then when that when that happened to me, I actually realized that you just accept it. It's, there's nothing you can do about it. And it's not actually scary. You just accept that, well, that's it. Um, how, how important that you had that information about the rhinos hmm. to actually process, to give you that presence of mind to at least try and get to words straight away. Anybody else, like you said, they'd have probably just panicked, stressed about it, got themselves in the worst condition and not made it to be able to, to, to get yeah. help, you know, so. That's why most people don't make it because they don't know. So the, the per, sadly, the, the, the previous one that that paramedic had in the, the game reserve was a food-related one, a 12-year-old child, the same age as my youngest boy, and he didn't make it because they, they didn't realise how serious what, what it was. And then by the time they did and called the help, when he got there, it was just too late. Um, so that that was significant that I knew immediately with my eyes and I was trying to get the the help and and then knew to to just calm down and and, and what what was going on and fortunate that Claire had the antihistamines because he reckoned that bought more minutes because um, your body actually reacts in a way to help itself that kills itself is, is, is what actually happens. So, so the first, it's not the first time you come into contact with the substance. So the first time I got, I didn't think about it at the time I got stung by what, you probably see on here, this muscle's still paralyzed from it. And there's like a, a, a dot here still from a big sting. There was others, but they go like a jackhammer, this type of wasp. They don't just sting you once. They keep going, and he reckons that that one possibly went into a small vein, so it was like intravenous. The previous time I got stung, the same place, massive redness in Spain, where they have the same wasps. My mum lives out there, and I just put my arm on a lilo, and there was a wasp on it, so it, it, it stung me. I had this big reaction, so then what happens is the next time your body comes into contact with that, because it's had such a big reaction to it, it overreacts. To, to sort that out, and that's what basically shuts you down. And The overreaction. Almost yeah. like autoimmune disorders, they work in a similar way, I believe. Uh, yeah. To... So there's, there's lots of, bizarrely enough, I think there's about 80 people a year die from being wasps things. <laughs> you just wouldn't really think that, would you? You just wouldn't think uh. well. I've got a load of tough questions for you, Derek. I don't feel like asking. Go on, lad. He can handle anything now. Yes, I know. He's on the big man. He's on his side. He's, he's uncomfortable, yeah. this guy. I'm, I'm going the bookies now. I'm putting money on Lee for everything. Uh, <laughs> I was saying to Andy Maisie, you were on last week, I'm glad we don't have to play them. Like, there's something scary about the Hornets oh. now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he'll play on that. He'll play on that, definitely. Yeah. Um, well, we've we've lots more we want to cover in other episodes. There, you've been very, very kind in sharing a lot about yourself uh, personally, your personal experiences, and an insight into being a chairman. And and I like the fact that you know it is you, it's your personality that comes through in the job in your role. It's not chairman, is it? Sorry, in there. Uh, 
uh, what owner. title? Owner, is that the correct title? Yeah, 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 I suppose so, yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, these big organisations, there are people who run them out, there are personalities that filter throughout that. So thank you very much for sharing uh, that with us, Derry. Yeah, thank you very much, and thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Doc House Rugby Show. If you've liked what you've seen today, don't forget to hit the subscribe button and give us a like. Oh, oh, oh.